Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Patty James, Chair of the Club's Nutrition, Food, and Wellness Member-Led Forum and Chair of this program. It's my pleasure to extend a special welcome to any new club members who are here this evening. We know you will enjoy your membership and look forward to seeing you often. At this time, please turn off your cell phones and other noise-making devices that you might have on you. Always <laughs> fun. Here are some of our upcoming programs. Now, these um, for the Nutrition, Food, and Wellness Program. They are not on the website quite yet, but they will be. We have Mary Lou Jepson. She is May 24th, and then will we have uh, Anna LaPay, Dr. Ikeo Palasanami, and Dr. Dean Ornish in the next few months, so stay tuned. You may register for these programs online at commonwealthclub.org or by calling the club's 24-hour reservation line. After Dr. Linda Shu is done her presentation, we will open it up for questions. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Linda Shu, MD, a physician, chef, and founder of Thrive Kitchen, a teaching kitchen for patients at Kaiser Permanente San Francisco, where she is director of culinary and lifestyle medicine. After she took her first French cooking class at the age of seven, (laughs) it took almost 40 more years before she went to culinary school at the San Francisco Cooking School, where she was trained in the kitchen of Michelin star restaurant Murad. In between, she studied anthropology and medicine at Brown University with field work in rural Sichuan, China, and in uber-urban Singapore, completed her medical residency at UCSF, and certified in plant-based nutrition at Cornell University. She believes that the best medicine is prevention. Her cooking classes showcase seasonal produce, lavishly flavored with spices and fresh herbs. Her debut cookbook, Spice Box Kitchen, Eat Well and Be Healthy, with globally inspired vegetable-forward recipes, was published in 2021, won a gold award in the 2022 Nautilus Book Awards, and was a finalist in the 2022 IACP Cookbook Awards. Dr. Shu is a clinical associate professor of medicine at the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and have served on the faculty of the University of California, San Francisco, and Stanford University. She also serves on the boards of the San Francisco Marin Food Bank and Meals on Wheels of San Francisco. Linda is the mother of two college-aged daughters and in her free time enjoys walks in nature and exploring the world through food. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Spicebox Travels and on Facebook and YouTube at The Doctor's Spicebox. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patty, and thank you all for being here. Um, So I'm really excited um, to share my view on what makes healthy eating and how to make it taste fabulous. Um, So today's presentation is a flavorful approach to good health. Um, as you, for those of you who can see me, um, I just got back from India, which is why I'm dressed like this. My first time and, you know, land of spices. And so kind of good timing really kind of inspired me to think even more about how to make um, delicious, healthy cooking accessible and fun for people. 
So we're going to start in the very beginning, way back in the history of time, um, father of modern Western medicine, Hippocrates, supposedly said this, although, you know, who's around to verify? Uh, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. So kind of planting the seeds of food as medicine. Um, and this is kind of a, a fun fact that I learned quite a while ago when I first started talking about food as medicine, you know, more than a decade ago, that um, the symbol Rx, which we use for prescription these days, has the same roots in Latin as the word recipe. In fact, it is the word recipe, um, and it's just that the meaning has changed. So um, the original Latin word, and um, perhaps my friend Dave here, I feel could pronounce Latin properly, recipere, meaning uh, to take, thank you. And um, the um, command tense or active form of recipe, to meaning instructing someone to take, uh, was initially used in writing prescriptions for medication, um, meaning, you know, take an aspirin and call me in the morning, new <laughs> thing. Um, and then um, that word remained recipe, um, and then later was used to have the meaning that we associate it with these days in instructions on how to prepare food. Um, but again, a reminder that in the beginning, we really did think about food as medicine. So now in the modern world, we have lots of drugs. Pharmaceutical industry is huge, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So why do we need food or nutrition anymore? You know, some people want a magic pill. Actually, many people want magic pills for everything. And there's no free lunch. There is no magic pill. Every pill has side effects. So that would be my first answer to why do we need nutrition. Um, but if you look at this T-shirt, this was around 4th of July at Target a few years ago. It looks like a joke, but this is actually how a lot of people eat, if not all the time. And that is true for some people much of the time. And so we see hot dogs, bacon, um, some sort of skewer with probably turkey drumsticks or something, um, more hot dogs, ice cream, pizza. And so this is a state of kind of the modern standard American diet, which looks very different from the standard American diet from, you know, decades ago. So this is why we need to talk about nutrition again. 90% of our healthcare costs in the U.S. are due to chronic conditions. Half of premature deaths are due to lifestyle factors. That includes nutrition, exercise, of course, smoking, um, amount of sleep, stress, and use of substances. But that's half, premature deaths. And then fully one in five deaths are due to poor diet as a factor alone. That's a huge percentage. And that really says that we have room that we really need to address this, not just give a pill. Similarly, only 10% of Americans meet dietary guidelines. And these are not really very stringent guidelines. They're kind of very low-lying guidelines, and we don't meet them. And um, in one poll, almost a third of Americans said they don't know how to cook. And I was actually just talking to my um, 
my rideshare driver since I was in the car with him for 45 minutes um, about whether he actually, I could have practiced my whole talk with him. He, he says he watches Food Network all the time, but he doesn't cook. And I think that is actually true too. Um, and he did admit that in the early days, Food Network was educational and he did learn how to cook some things then, but now it's all competitions and eating contests. And this is again, the wrong direction of things. Um, so again, I just came back from India. So <laughs> I took this picture last week. Um, this was at the market in Jodhpur. And you can see these spices. They're incredible. Incredible. And then I found this, again, I, I can't vouch if this is a, an accurate translation, but an Ayurvedic proverb that when diet is wrong, medicine is of no use. When diet is correct, medicine is of no need. I love this. I, you know, I could have written this, although I would say that the second one, I don't agree with 100%. There's still a place for medications. You know, I'm a doctor. I write a lot of prescriptions. But I would say maybe when diet is correct, less medicine is needed. I think that is actually very accurate. So um, this is kind of my theme. Let's treat the diet and kind of reduce the amount of medication that we will need. So diet is what we call a modifiable risk factor, which is exactly what it sounds like, a risk factor for diseases. So we know that added sugar is linked to obesity, no surprise, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. Animal fat consumption is associated with obesity and related diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Um, importantly, processed and red meats are associated with a lot of things that scare most of us, certain cancers, cardiovascular disease, and all-cause mortality, which pretty much means the risk of dying. And ultra-processed foods, um, formerly known just as processed foods, are devoid of nutrition, pretty much. They lack fiber, micronutrients, which are vitamins and minerals, um, phytochemicals, which are plant-based chemicals, such as antioxidants. And conversely, they're high in all the things that cause chronic disease, fat, sugar, salt, or sodium. I promise that this is the only bar graph I'll show you. <laughs> but it's a good one, actually. I, I really love this because I think it encapsulates it's a really good way of thinking about small changes that we can make in our diets or, or big changes. Um, in a very large study, this is actually a huge study, almost 61,000 people studied for four years, um, looking at diet patterns ranging from non-vegetarian, pretty much the standard American diet, all the way to, to vegan, um, no animal products at all. You see an inverse linear correlation between um, the more plant-based diets and the risk of um, increased body mass index, which is weight over height squared, and same pattern for um, risk for type 2 diabetes. Um, it's, it's really striking how these kind of line up next to each other. And some people look at this and say, you know what, I, I don't want to be vegan, I don't want to eat plant-based, so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But I interpret it in a different way, that actually every bite counts. And so every, every improvement that you can make in how you eat will make a difference. And you can see it here because they progress from, again, standard American diet to semi-vegetarian to pesco-vegetarian, so seafood plus vegetables, to lacto-ovo-vegetarian, um, dairy and eggs, and then to fully vegan, um, which is otherwise known as a whole food plant-based diet.
So there's a lot of noise. There's a, a diet of the week. I always like to say that if I wanted to make a lot of money, which would be nice, I could invent a diet and it would sell. That's what people want because it's, it's the next equivalent of the you know, magic pill. It's like the magic diet. Just tell me what I should eat. And people get very optimistic. Like, I can stick with it. I know there are only you know, 10 foods I'm allowed to eat. I can do this forever. But no one can actually do that. And... Um, I'm very proud of this animation, so <laughs> it's dizzying and confusing to people. And the truth is that nobody can actually stick to a very restrictive diet forever. Um, and so wh what do we do with this? You know, it gets really disheartening to people. I talk to people every day who, who get frustrated. They're like, I've tried this and this and this and this. It works for a while, and then, you know, whatever it is, I, I can't stick with it. And whatever health improvements, whether it's weight or something else, it, it reverses. So my picture, but not my quote, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. These seven words from Michael Pollan, I think they're brilliant, actually. It, this is actually all I need to say, and I can be done, and we can, <laughs> we can go now. Um, because this, you know, what this says is you want to eat real food, mostly plants, right? So what I've been saying, and also not highly processed things. If we can all reach this in some approximation, I think most of our health issues will improve somewhat. Um, so a little bit more about the evidence around um, eating mostly plants and how that is helpful both to individuals and to the planet. Um, one in 10 premature deaths are preventable if Americans cut down their current red meat uh, consumption to less than half a serving per day. So that means about two ounces of red meat per day. Um, and of course, you don't have to eat those two ounces in, in one day. That could be averaged over the week. Maybe that means you eat red meat once a week if you still want to eat red meat. That makes a huge difference, actually. One in 10 deaths. We're not just talking about illness. Um, eating plant-based proteins, on the other hand, um, is associated with lower risk of all those chronic illnesses, as I've discussed already. And then for the environment, it's about sustainability, right? So we have yet another atmospheric river coming our way. We, we've had really interesting, difficult weather all around the world recently. And, um, you know, we've, we need to acknowledge that we have some responsibility for trying to prevent ongoing climate change that is going to make this worse and worse. And um, so eating more plant-based will mean that we're doing something. This is something that you can actually do yourself every day at each meal to make a difference. So what are the diets? You know, I, I gave that little cloud of all the different trendy diets. There are actually diets that have a lot of scientific research backing them. And they're all what I would call plant-forward or mainly plant-based. So there's the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, and the whole, whole food plant-based diet. And what these all have in common is that they do emphasize mainly vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, That, just as you see here in this Mediterranean diet pyramid. Um, I'm going to focus a little on the Mediterranean diet here. I'll just speak for one second about these other two diets. So the DASH diet stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, um, was designed by the USDA as... Um, a way to kind of structure people's diets to really reduce the need for blood pressure medications. And it's very, very powerful. I actually, um, I'll have to admit that I didn't know how powerful until I was studying for my lifestyle medicine boards earlier last year. But um, following this diet, which is pretty much a general healthy diet, not really restrictive, 
can lower your systolic blood pressure, so that's the number on top, by 10 or 11 points. That's huge. That's like any blood pressure medication. And I really like to, you know, share this with my patients who are taking blood pressure medication as a way of saying, you know, there's no harm in trying this. And it's very flexible. You can adapt it to how, whatever you like to eat. It just gives you a little bit more structure. And I think structure is important for people. That's why people like those diets of the week. Um, so that is that diet. And then um, the whole food plant-based diet is basically a vegan diet um, without added oil and without processed foods. So in summary, it's um, all these diets maximize intake of plant-based foods and minimize processed foods and animal-based foods. In terms of what a whole food part of that diet looks like, you can think of it as eating food close to um, what it looked like when it was grown. And when you do this, when you eat plant-based foods, you're adding all the good things that we can only get in plants. And so that's mainly fiber and antioxidants um, and phytonutrients, which by definition are plant-based nutrients. And then you crowd out what we think are the bad things. So saturated fat, cholesterol, and then things that we add in animal husbandry, like antibiotics and hormones, and then heme iron, which is present in red meat. And when I say adding versus crowding out, psychologically, it's much easier for us as humans to be allowed to eat kind of more of something that's good for us, as opposed to being told you can't eat that. And the fiber in fruits and vegetables will help you feel full, and so hopefully you have less, less room for the stuff that isn't so great for you. So if you look at this Mediterranean diet pyramid, um, you can see that it doesn't you know, cut out a lot of other things. It does, again, have that plant base. And then in de decreasing amounts after that, seafood, poultry and dairy and eggs, and then meats and sweets at the top, occasional, rare, not too much. Importantly, also at the bottom, you'll see a rectangle, and that emphasizes the kind of other aspects of lifestyle that are also important in good health. Um, that includes movement or exercise, um, some sort of social connection, the things that bring us joy and reduce stress. So that, that's also important. It's not all about diet, even though that is my focus. Um, a recent meta-analysis um, on the Mediterranean diet showed some pretty nice numbers about how um, no matter when you change your diet along the Mediterranean diet spectrum, more in that direction, you can add years to your life. And um, that's what a lot of people want, right? We want um, longer lives and healthier lives. So you get the greatest gains if you start early in young adulthood. You can add as long as 13 years to your lifespan. But even at age 80, you can add three and a half years. Um, that's pretty impressive. And the largest gains are about by adding the things that I've already talked about and the plant-based things and cutting back on red and processed meat. Um, I'll add to this, even though this study didn't comment on it, it also is about what we call health span, not just lifespan. So feeling good, um, eating fruits and vegetables, eating well. I think we all know that from personal experience. When you eat better, as opposed to maybe the way that we might eat around the holidays, you actually feel better. And so that is what, what we really should look forward to is living longer, but also feeling good and being able to do the things that we want to do. Um, so while I'm talking about the Mediterranean diet, just because it's gotten a lot of study and there's a lot of science um, and uh, papers being written about it, um, you'll see that in this um, slide I put together of 
um, food plates and pyramids from the WHO's website, pretty much everyone agrees upon this basic pattern around the world. I had kind of an inordinate amount of fun putting this together. I looked at this site for a really long time, and this is just my favorites. Um, but because I think a really important point that I want to make um, is that there isn't just one healthy diet, right? So the way that sort of the establishment has talked about it is, yes, there is one healthy diet and it's kind of the, you know, um, quinoa and kale is one way to talk about it. Um, it's American food, it's Western food, but that's not true. Every culture has had healthy diets forever. And in fact, the the decreases in health outcomes in other countries is, is our fault. It's actually industrialization and processed food and the, the culture around, um, you know, basically making money and being productive and saying, hey, look, in America, they have frozen meals that you can just microwave in two minutes, and then everyone adopted that. Um, but truly, all cuisines started plant-based, partially because of what was available, partially because of economics, um, but that was better. Kind of older diets like that were better. And so I'll just point out a few highlights in this because, again, I had so much fun. You'll see that most people have transitioned from pyramids, that's the kind of old-fashioned way, to the plate. Um, and uh, different countries, you know, describe these plates in different ways. Um, the two exceptions here to the form of that are in China, they have the pagoda, which is kind of cute. And um, in France, next to that... It's three columns, which is really interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be like the tricolor flag, um, but really interesting that like in this country of gastronomy that they don't actually picture food in any appetizing way. Um, it's kind of interesting. The other thing I'll point out is that you'll see these two countries, China with the pagoda, and then in the lower left-hand corner, um, that's Jamaica, that they show exercise, which is kind of nice. The only ones to show the activity as being part of dietary guidelines. Um, and these two countries, you know, they get a lot of Olympic medals, so there's something <laughs> to say about that there. And then you'll see that the, the Jamaicans have their flag all over theirs as well. Um, and so it just I think just from a cultural standpoint, it's very interesting to see how people present this. Um, from a nutrition standpoint, though, this is all very similar to the Mediterranean diet. We want to emphasize at least half fruits and vegetables, about a quarter of whole grains, and then a quarter of protein, um, ideally more um, leaner proteins, including plant-based proteins. But people eat food and not nutrients. So I think this is the problem. You know, when I realized that I wasn't doing enough for my patients by not talking about food at all, because that's what I was doing until about 12 years ago, I knew that there were dietitians, and I thought about what dietitians usually give, and it's usually a list of, maybe a list of foods, but they talk a lot about the nutrients, which is great too, but patients still didn't know what to do with it. And I thought, yeah, that's true. We're, we're busy. People need to be actually given very practical advice. So I, that's when I decided that I would actually encourage people to cook. Um, so there are many benefits of home cooking. You know, there's a, lot, there's a lot on the slide, but basically it helps you reach those nutrition guidelines that are hard to reach otherwise. And there are other benefits too of better ingredient quality. You get, have control over what you choose. You can go to the farmer's market. Um, you can save money, even though the only place I would say that isn't true is you, you can't really compete with a, the dollar menu at McDonald's. That's, that's actually truly a problem because, you know, for people who have food access issues, um, it is hard to say, what can I give you for a dollar? Um, 
and that's a more complex conversation. And then there have been proven psychological benefits of family meals, although I would say with the caveat, not, not if everyone's fighting <laughs> at the table. But otherwise, that check-in, that time to check-in of let's just come together, put down your phones, let's talk about your day, um, you know, that's actually an important part of family life that often is missing otherwise in, in the way that we kind of run on technology these days. So many benefits to home cooking. And just some pictures of, again, to kind of drive it into your, your, your brains right here, legumes, <laughs> whole grains, and leafy greens. Those are the three things, no matter how you eat, even if you eat similar to that America 4th of July t-shirt, if you add more of these things, you're gonna improve your diets and your health. Okay, the other you know, key fact is that people only eat food if it tastes good. So, you know, I, I went to school for a long time. I've done a lot of school, I love school. But these things that I came up with, which have the most impact, I think, on how I've helped people are so basic. They're things that, you know, my mother told me, right? Eat your vegetables. And, and what I knew as a lifelong lover of food and cooking is make it taste good. It's actually as simple as that. So that's where the field of culinary medicine comes in. That's what I practice and have been for the last 12 years or so. This is defined as the art of food and cooking blended with the science of medicine. And it's a way of using food to prevent and treat disease and to restore well-being. And as I mentioned before, the well-being, I think, is the, the biggest part of it. That is what is going to help someone stick with these changes as opposed to, you know, going on to the next diet of the week or the month. You're going to feel better fast, actually, too. No pill actually makes you feel better, um, you know. We can, we can argue that, you know, um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications do. That's not what I mean. I mean for things like blood pressure, cholesterol, et cetera. Those never make you feel better. They improve your numbers, but you actually don't really feel different necessarily. Maybe with, if you had really high blood pressure, you might feel a little bit better. But eating food within just days, you're going to feel better. You'll, you will sleep better. You'll have more energy. You'll be more attractive. All of these things are actually true. So um, that's why I love doing this because it's very rewarding to me as well. So I promised that I would teach you how to make food taste fabulous. I went to culinary school for a while to, to do that, but I think you can sum it up in a few points here, actually. So these are my bullet points on how to make food taste fabulous. Eat seasonally. We are very lucky here in the Bay Area to have farmer's markets year-round with like so much great produce. I grew up on the East Coast, and um, my, my family still lives there. And when I go to visit, especially if it's not the summer, in the summer it's a different story because there is farm-fresh produce, it's really sad for me. I'm like, oh, it, it is expensive to eat healthy. And these vegetables have no flavor. All of these things are true. And so we're lucky here. I feel like we don't have that many excuses because we have really access to inexpensive, good seasonal produce. And um, this includes at the food bank where I'm on board, where 60% of what we give out is fresh produce. And we are trying very hard um, with my influence, I hope to think, um, to diversify that, to have more cultural culturally um, appropriate uh, or culturally appealing um, types of produce and um, to kind of push the envelope on that. You know, when I have a chance to volunteer and I, I see what people are giving out, I'm like, mm, they're going to throw that away. And there's, you don't want, um, you know, and one of my friends here has seen stuff discarded on the street right outside the distribution points. 
that that's not helpful to have food that we're giving away that is then discarded. Um, but all of that is to say that even if people are food insecure, and that is actually about one in four people in our city right now, um, I'm really proud that the food bank is trying very hard to, to change that. Um, Secondly, focus on flavor, not just salt. So salt has a place in cooking for sure in small amounts. It's to enhance the flavor of food. However, if we don't have other flavors, we just add more salt, right? That's kind of the tendency, like, oh, it needs more salt. Um, if you start playing around with other flavors, though, if you start adding herbs and spices, and if you use acidic flavors, you'll see that you don't need as much salt because you have a lot more to play around with on your palate. And acidic flavors actually can somehow convince your, confuse your palate into thinking something is saltier than it is. So that's another tip. You also want to include a variety of textures. So when I was growing up, um, you know, I was raised by babysitters after school. My first babysitter, it, I still remember how literally sad she would be all the time because she was always on a diet. And I remember looking at her food and it, it was like colorless and textureless, like, and definitely probably flavorless. And I could see why she was sad about it because she just, she felt like healthy food was a punishment. So that is the complete opposite of what I want to communicate here. Um, so textures are really important. You know, think about it. Like, it's nice to have crunchy things. We like crunch. It's nice to have creamy things. And then you want crisp, you want juicy. All of those things can be combined. You know, a good example is a good salad will have lots of different types of produce. All of that produce has different flavors, but also different textures. And then it's a bonus to have something crunchy like croutons or toasted nuts or seeds. And then something creamy, whether that is a creamy dressing or avocados or, um, you know, a small amount of cheese. All of those things. If you can imagine this salad that I'm describing right now, that has a lot of textures in it. So think about that whenever you're making whatever you're making. Um, and one of the things, too, when my, my babysitter was sad about her food was that was our fat-free era, which led to a lot of problems in people's health. Um, fat in small amounts is not only delicious, it is actually beneficial to our health. So there are four vitamins, um, and I'll call on any of my doctor friends in the audience. Anyone want to share what those four vitamins are that you need fat to absorb? Thank you. <laughs> A, D, E, and K. So if you actually followed those guidelines that my babysitter was and had no fat in your diet, you would be deficient in these important vitamins, including vitamin D. And so we want fat, but you want to choose better forms of fat. So what does this mean? Not choosing fats that are solid at room temperature. Those are saturated fats, in particular animal fats. Um, there, there's nuance to this too, but in general, um, a fat that is liquid at room temperature is an unsaturated fat, and those are better choices, in particular olive oil and other, other oils. Nuts and avocado, if you don't want to add oil, are good sources of fat too, and that will be enough to absorb those four vitamins. Um, and the other thing about fat, you know, it tastes good. We like fat. Um, and again, we want to like our food. Food is about pleasure. It should never be about, I have to eat this. Um, but it also helps um, with satiety. So if you have a little bit of fat, it'll keep you full for longer. You will hopefully stop eating sooner, uh, all of those things. So it's helpful actually from a nutrition standpoint in that way. 
And then finally, think about presentation. Make your meals visually satisfying. We say, you know, we eat with our eyes first. And so in this picture, which is for my eat the rainbow spring rolls, um, it's very colorful and it's meant to be that way. It's colorful. We try to cut things in a way that it's symmetric and kind of goes together nicely. There's a big difference between, you know, it can be the same kind of food, but something that is prepared with care and with attention to the details, like how it looks. Um, and the same exact ingredients that are sloppily thrown together. It doesn't actually take more effort or time to do that, and it makes a big difference in how we enjoy our food. Um, so I love spices, and um, spices are a great way to introduce flavor, um, as well as having health benefits. And actually, that reminds me... Um, in my bag that's in the corner there, I have some spice containers that I wanted to pass around the audience. We're going to make this interactive for those of you who bothered to come in person and wait for me. Um, while we're waiting for that, oh yes, thank you. Yeah, maybe you can just open that and start passing it around. Um, there are seven containers, so um, people can share, um, share between couple of you if you have neighbors, and um, we'll be using these in a few minutes. So um, while you're waiting for your spices, anyone want to name some of the spices they see in the slide here? Oh, you have cinnamon there. Oh, yes, but in the slide. Yes. Yes, there's saffron. Oh, you, oh the cinnamon. Yes, thank you. Cardamom, yes. Yes, great. Coriander, that could... Oh, of course, that's you, Dave. Coriander, that's a hard one to identify visually, but... Yes. <laughs> and um, a few others, a few other things in there. Um, but, you know, there's a wide variety. You can see different shapes, sizes, and very different flavors and fun to play around with. So, yes, spices add flavor to food. Um, and this is a picture of a... Spice box, yes. Name of my my whole brand. Um, <laughs> it's the Masala Dava, and um, really ingenious way of storing and having spices at the ready for cooking. You put your favorite spices there. There's a little spoon, and um, and then it's it's stored, you know, basically in opaque containers that don't leak uh, flavors. Um, it's a really good way to store spices. Um, so spices for flavor, that is the number one thing to think about. But spices are also a way of connecting to diverse cultural traditions. So I studied um, anthropology when I was in college, and I think that informs a lot of how I kind of approach life and the world. I think it's great to have something to ask people about and that only they can tell you about, right? And have that in to someone's culture. And I did this kind of ad nauseum in India to anybody who would listen to me. Oh, what part of India are you from? What do you eat there? What are the spices you use? And um, but they would always answer, and they would actually always answer and be really excited. I was interested because who doesn't love eating? Everybody loves eating. Um, so I wanted to share this uh, quote from Samin Nosrat from her, her book, Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat, because I love this. I really resonate with this quote. When making a dish from far-off lands, perhaps no ingredient is as important as curiosity. Cooking and eating foods from places we've never seen is as good a way as any and better than most to expand your horizons and to remember that the world is a big, beautiful place of endless magic and surprise. It's really lovely, isn't it? Um, 
And so this is kind of how, this is how I live my life. Um, similarly, in my cooking classes, which um, incidentally, I see some of my patients here in the room, but if you're a Kaiser member, um, my cooking classes, which are once a month, are now, as of the pandemic, virtual and free. And if you're not a Kaiser member, they're inexpensive to take. And so I encourage you to take those. But I, I do a different menu every month, and I really try to uh, touch on many different cultures, again, to reinforce this theme that everybody has a healthy diet in their culture. And it's just a matter of tweaking how we might prepare things to get to that. So um, besides flavor, besides, you know, exploring cultures, spices also have health benefits. They were, in fact, our first medicines way back in those times of Ayurveda. And um, and this is still true to this day. Um, there is research still being done on the health benefits of spices, and some modern uh, pharmaceuticals are actually made from spices. Um, one big example um, is Tamiflu. Um, and another, well, I'll get to the other, um, but in terms of how spices can impact and improve your health, I already mentioned how using spices can reduce our reliance on just adding salt to our food. So that's one very direct way. Other than that, spices in general are anti-inflammatory and contain antioxidants because again, they're derived from plants. So just like the vegetables that you're eating that have these properties, just because they're dried and ground doesn't mean that they lose them. So that is another direct thing that you're adding benefit. And this is actually, this last point is based upon very recent research that spices support a diverse microbiome. So for the same reason that um, we want you to eat a lot, a wide variety of plant-based foods, a lot of different fruits and vegetables um, to support a very diverse microbiome, and that is all the bacteria that live in our guts, the whole universe inside of us, um, spices do the same thing. And so many people talk about, you know, you should actually have 30 different plants in a week. That seems really daunting. Even for me, you know, as someone who loves to eat fruits and vegetables, 30 different ones, you know, but if you think about it, you can get there. There are seeds and nuts, there are whole grains, there are lots of different um, fruits and vegetables. But now that we know that spices count, that is a bonus. That actually can make it pretty easy. And, um, you know, more reason to play around with a lot of different spices. Okay, who has a black pepper? Oh, okay, you got it there? Okay, could you open your, your black pepper uh, container and take a little whiff? Can you tell me what it smells like? Yeah, I know, it's hard. This is hard, even for you. Let's see. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> oh, interesting, wet stone. Okay. What does whetstone smell like? Pepper. Okay. Okay. The official, my definition is that it, it smells and I should, I should have said smells and tastes actually. For taste, you, and you might have come to this, it tastes, well, it tastes peppery. <laughs> it tastes sharp, right? We know that feeling of black pepper. Black pepper is probably the most universal spice used everywhere. Um, and so much so that we will call it peppery. That's what people say. Um, and we describe other things as being peppery. It's used in many foods around the world. Um, in terms of health benefits, it's mainly um, anti-inflammatory. And when we're talking about inflammation, it's both the inflammation that is associated with chronic diseases, but also the inflammation as in 
you know, ouch, my back hurts. I need to take an Advil kind of inflammation. Um, so it's beneficial for that. But it's also a friend of other spices by helping absorb the bio, um, by increasing the bioavailability or increasing the absorption of the bioactive compounds and spices. We see this with turmeric um, um, and the uh, active ingredient of curcumin, which is in turmeric. Um, great, greatly, greatly increased if you have black pepper with your turmeric. Fortunately, many recipes that include turmeric will also include black pepper. Um, and so just keep that in mind. Basically, don't have turmeric without black pepper if you want to have health benefits. Um, and also, it's a friend of tea. So tea contains polyphenols, which are antioxidants, um, protective of heart and brain health. And if you have black pepper with that, which you might have if you have masala chai, like I had endless cups of when I was in India. I, I am that annoying person who just came back from a trip and will keep talking about it forever and also wear the clothes. And and I would have worn more bangles if I didn't want to make noise. <laughs> I am that person, I'll admit to it. But at any rate, um, you, you want to have, you could have your black pepper um, in a spicy form of masala chai. So in terms of other things that you may feel, remember I talked about how you feel when you have healthy food, how you feel when you have certain spices. It can help with your digestion and has been studied with some evidence with weight management. Um, as a caveat, a lot of these things I'll mention about the studies, they were done mainly in rats, some in people, not too many in people though. Um, and I would love to see that, but most of them are, you know, lab studies and lab animals. Um, so the, the pictures I'll show for all these spices are pictures of recipes from the book. This is from the Maltese bread and tomato sandwich, but truly pepper is probably in, in many of the recipes in the book. Okay, chili pepper, who has that? Oh, yes, okay. So I, I, so you can take a careful whiff of that. Tell me what it smells like and, and how it normally tastes to you. Irritating, yeah, yeah. So that's probably that capsaicin that, um, that we use topically for pain management. So you can see that that's powerful, right? So you can smell that, it's already, you know, irritating. And yet it has benefits, right? So it kind of like, it, it hurts, but then it helps. <laughs> um, so there are many, many, many chili peppers with various degrees of, um, of, of spiciness. And, um, you know, there's a rating system for that, the Scoville um, rating system for peppers. In fact, that came up with my Uber driver as well. <laughs> he talked about Scoville units. We were together for a very long time. And, um, <laughs> but um, so chili peppers have many health benefits, you know, reducing mortality, like you will live longer possibly if you eat chili peppers, uh, reduce your risk of cancer, heart disease, helps with your blood uh, sugar control, um, some effects on metabolism for weight management, gut health, and also some antimicrobial properties. Bonus points if anyone here can name the pepper in the picture. Close. It looks like an habanero, but it's not. Scotch bonnet. Good. Many people knew that. Excellent. Okay. So, um, oh, I forgot to press. Flavor is spicy. <laughs> scotch bonnet. Um, so one of these scotch bonnets in my recipe for Jamaican rice and peas here is very, very powerful. Many people say it's too spicy, even though this cooks like six cups of this dish, that one pepper. So proceed with caution. Um, but the other nuance about peppers, there are so many of them, they actually all have slightly different flavors. And scotch bonnets, while being very high in the Scoville units, I can't remember the, the number right now, 
now are also somewhat floral. And so it's kind of fun also if you do like chili peppers to, you know, try different ones because they, they really do have different flavors. Okay, cinnamon. Who's got the cinnamon here? Cinnamon? Cinnamon? No? Oh, oh okay. Okay, yeah, Peter, I think you can, you can, you can open the cinnamon. Tell me what it smells like and what it tastes like to you. Sweet, okay. I think that's great. Um, so in Western cuisine, you know, we find cinnamon mainly in baked goods and desserts. Um, but what I find more interesting is how a lot of other countries use it, how a lot of other cuisines use it in savory applications, really just to balance and enhance savory things in curries and in stews. Um, and from a health perspective, this aspect of it being sweet, I actually find it sweeter than, it's like too sweet sometimes, right? It can be too sweet. Um, and that has benefits because if someone is actually trying to cut down on added sugar, which I recommend um, for most people, we all have a lot of added sugar, mainly in our processed foods and places you don't expect or want. Um, but if you do need to cut down your sugar, adding cinnamon instead, you may not need to add added sugar. Um, and so kind of it, it helps with that. Also happens to help with blood sugar control. So definitely cinnamon is a good one for someone who's watching their blood sugar. It also helps reduce blood pressure and has benefits for brain health in terms of um, some mood disorders and also studied for memory disorders. So this is one of the savory applications, um, and this is from a Persian dish called fezanjan, which normally has poultry in it, um, but this is a plant-based version just with butternut squash. It's walnuts um, simmered for a long time, and I know, Heather, you use pecans for yours. Um, simmered for a long time so that the natural fats actually come out and add to the thickness and richness of it, and pomegranate molasses. Um, and there's also cardamom and maybe a little turmeric in my recipe for this. And black pepper. Thank you. Okay, cumin. Someone has a cumin here. All right. So you know the drill now. Oops, I, I clicked too fast. Oh, no, I clicked too fast. I'm going to take it away. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry that I flashed out in front of your, your eyes. Earthy is how um, I might describe it. And I, I know that, you know, for people who don't like it, they say it kind of tastes like dirt. And, and that is probably another way of saying earthy. So everyone has a different palate. Um, but I also like to say, just like we encourage, you know, parents to give the same food to their kid 12 times before they're allowed to say they don't like it. Same thing with spices, actually. You can really learn to like something because it really... It's, it's not the spice itself. You're not just going to eat a spoonful of cumin. You're going to blend it with things, and different flavors from the other foods will impact how that tastes to you. Um, so it's used around the world in many cuisines, Mexican, Indian, many Middle Eastern cuisines, and even in some um, Chinese regional cuisines, um, we have cumin. Um, and so this brings up for me another point that for people who are like, oh, I don't know about spices, I don't know how to try them, I like to say, try what, what spice do you like? You must like one spice, and maybe it's black pepper. Okay, so you like black pepper, you know how to use that in you know, standard American cooking. This, this culture uses black pepper in this way. Maybe you can try it that way. And so that is a way of kind of like learning about spices. Just try it out, the one that you know and that you like, and get comfortable with it in other cuisines. 
Um, so cumin helps um, with digestion, and it also is a source of iron, although you'd have to have a lot of cumin to really have a big impact on that. But I like to think about all these health benefits of spices as, you know, this is not really the treatment dose, but if you have spices in your food every day, you're going to get some additive benefit from them. Um, and this is from a very memorable uh, Moroccan uh, tomato salad. It looks very much like pico de gallo, right? And it's actually very similar. So it has the diced Roma tomatoes, onions, and um, cilantro that you will also have in pico de gallo. But it also has a lot of cumin and it has some lime juice. And that makes it completely different, totally different flavor profile. Um, you'll see also in the little condiment tray right above it, that three-part um, tray. There's salt. There is um, some type of chili pepper, probably an Aleppo type pepper. And there's ground cumin. And if you go to Morocco, instead of salt and pepper at the table, there's salt and cumin, always. You never see pepper, actually. And maybe except for when they have turmeric. But at the table, this is how, how much they love cumin there. Um, okay, garlic. Um, so somebody has garlic powder. All right. This is going to be a hard one, too. What does it smell like? <laughs> Sounds like garlic. That's right, Mindy. Um, yeah. So I will talk about freshness of spices. This is not just today, but it's from a company that makes, you know, sells the spices to you um, pretty soon after harvesting, which is not true for all spices. So, um, and I'll, I'll get to that, but yes, it smells garlicky, right? <laughs> so you could all say savory, aromatic, but really when a spice is so commonly used and when it has such a strong flavor and scent, it just becomes, that's the adjective that we have for it, right? And for the food. Um, so it's used in most cuisines. You either love it or you don't love it. If you love it, you're going to like put 10 times the amount of garlic that a recipe calls for. And if you don't like it, you'll omit it. Um, has a lot of cardiovascular benefits, blood pressure and reducing your LDL or bad cholesterol, and also has some antimicrobial properties. It's used throughout my cookbook. Um, and yes, you're welcome to leave things out of recipes if you don't like them. Um, this is a salad niçoise. Okay, ginger. All right. It sounds like I know, I know, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, spicy. It's interesting. I think that at least, I don't know about, I'm wondering about other languages, but in English, we don't have many great adjectives for describing spices. It, we just end up naming the spice. Um, I would say it's sharp, bright, and I would say spicy too, in a different way, right? Um, so it's used a lot in Asian food, but it's also um, in desserts and in tea. Um, I really hated ginger when I was a kid, actually, because it has a very strong flavor. Um, but I love it now, like so many other things that you don't like when you're a kid and you eat it over and over until you actually really, really embrace it. Um, it has a lot of proven health benefits. Um, the first one that I actually like to kind of tell anyone who has any issues with nausea, whether it's from seasickness or from morning sickness, is have ginger in some form, even like a ginger candy, one of those ginger chews. It is really first line or, or ginger tea, which you can make from fresh ginger or by putting powdered sugar uh, ginger like you have there in boiling water. Um, it can really soothe the stomach and that works really well. 
Um, it's also very anti-inflammatory. It has some evidence for cardio cardiovascular and brain health. And in one study, interestingly, one eighth of a teaspoon, that's a tiny amount, was equivalent to the prescription drug sumatriptan or Imitrex for treating, I would, I, I would imagine, mild migraine headaches. But why not try it, actually, is what I tell people. Um, and it either works or it doesn't, but at the least, it will help the nausea that often accompanies migraines. And so I think ginger is a great one. One thing that I didn't actually see come up in studies with ginger, but I feel like personally that I, I use to my benefit when I'm really congested with a, a sinus or respiratory infection is if you have a lot of ginger, it clears out your sinuses too, uh, right? Because of that, that ability of it to be kind of spicy. Um, and so I think this is a great one to have around, especially in the winter months. Um, so this is my recipe for what looks like just plain old oatmeal, but it has some ginger in it and some citrus and some walnuts. And that, um, you know, makes it pretty different and very easy to make. Um, and just, a, I call this my sophisticated ginger orange oatmeal, a little bit more sophisticated. But you could substitute any spice here. So just think about spices at breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, all the time. Okay, our last audience participation is turmeric. All right, so be careful when you open that because it can stain. Um, or, and you can probably smell it through that lid as well. Okay. Uh-huh. Earthy too, yeah. Yeah, it has, I mean, it has a very strong and distinctive flavor, right? So I also said earthy and I think peppery in a different way. It's used probably most familiar to people in curry blends um, or on its own but never alone with pepper, of course. <laughs> um, and I think it's another, um, you know, you either like it or you should, you will get used to it kind of flavor. Um, I think when it's blended with other spices, like in a, a curry blend, um, it, it, it's less, uh, kind of stands out less. Um, but, you know, it's been popularized recently, um, blended with milk for golden milk. Um, and so I think people are learning to enjoy it in different ways. Um, health benefits, I already talked about it being anti-inflammatory, especially with pepper, black pepper. In this study, it showed that for um, arthritis, it's just the regular old osteoarthritis or wear and tear arthritis, three to five teaspoons a day, which is actually quite a bit of turmeric, um, <laughs> uh, which is equivalent to 500 to, 500 to 1,000 milligrams of curcumin, the active ingredient, um, was as potent as, I think it was 400 to 600 milligrams of ibuprofen, Advil or Motrin. Um, for this purpose, I think you'd be better off with a capsule. Um, and so they do sell those that contain black pepper. So you could try that. And, you know, for people who are trying to avoid taking ibuprofen all the time to protect their stomachs, et cetera, reduce the risk of having gastrointestinal bleeding, which is not a really good outcome. Um, this might be a good alternative for aches and pains. Um, other anti-inflammatory effects have been shown for various autoimmune diseases, for cholesterol, uh, also helps with blood sugar control and beneficial for brain health. And this is a recipe that I think you will not find in any other cookbook for curry mango that comes from Trinidad. And um, that came with a really, if you get the book and read the story, a funny story with friends who, who serve curry mango but had a ridiculous business idea, that, which I'll just share. Actually, the business idea was... Um, on demand, just baked bread delivered by bicycle. 
And the person who proposed the idea didn't understand that it takes time to make bread. <laughs> that, you know, like it would just, it would be a very hard concept. Um, but that was my, they were the inspiration for this recipe here. Um, so this uses green mango, which is unripe mango, but it's still slightly sweet and definitely still fruity, balanced with the savoriness of um, the turmeric in it. And so it's again, a nice play of like sweet and savory. I really enjoy that kind of flavor combination. So another picture from my trip last week. Um, <laughs> um, this is how to get the best flavor from your spices. So Mindy, you thought I bought that ginger right away. It's, it's not that old, but it's maybe a month or two old. Um, so little known fact, or maybe known to some of you, most of the spices that we see sold on the shelves, they could be even like years old. Because the spice trade, which, you know, began centuries ago, and I have a feeling Dave here probably knows more about the history of the spice trade than I do, because Dave knows a lot of things. Um, it, it's still like this kind of opaque history that involves some crime, you know, involved pirates in the past and maybe pirates now. Um, but long story short, it, the, these spices go all around the place. And by the time they get nicely packaged and you think you're getting new, fresh spices, they're old. They could be years old. And that's why I think another reason why people feel like they don't like spices, like, eh, it didn't really do much for me. But the difference is when you get a really fresh spice, then you're like, oh, I don't need much of that. And that adds a lot of flavor. Um, and that flavor and the age of the spice, incidentally, is also related to any sort of therapeutic benefit it would have, right? So just like when we, we pick a plant, it loses its vitamins as, you know, as time goes by. Same thing with spices, as long as the longer they sit, the, um, they lose their flavor and their health benefits. So if you can't get really um, fresh spices, and I do have some recommendations um, for companies that, um, first of all, are, are all organic and maybe buy from um, single purveyors and, and then really try to get it to you quickly because it doesn't go through the middleman that goes around the world in various trade routes. Um, you'll get much really outstanding spices that that you just, you're surprised actually. Um, and these have all come around pretty recently. Um, I think I'm not going to mention it now because I'm not really advertising for them, but they're in my book and I'm happy to talk about them later. But look for a company that says they're a kind of single origin. I think that's a really great way to look at that. Um, if you can't get those, buy whole spices. That's actually really a good option. So when you get them whole, they will maintain their flavor and their potency for up to five years. That's a long time. Maybe you need to subtract the three years that they've been traveling around the world. But even so, they still have some life in them once you get them home. Grind them in like uh, in a mortar and pestle if you want to be old school or in a very simple coffee or spice grinder, the kind that you just kind of push down the button. That's what I do. Um, and then use them that way and they'll be very potent. Um, so ground spices, you know, you really want to use within six months. No one really does. Uh, I, I also have spices in my cupboard that are there for too long. Um, but if you know that if they look different, if they're paler than they used to be, if they don't smell like much, they're not bad. They just don't have flavor anymore. That's, that's definitely your sign. It's time to replace them. Um, and then store them properly. So you don't want these stored right next to your stove. Um, the heat and light will damage them. Ideally, you want them stored in glass, which is non-permeable versus plastic or the stainless steel like you saw in the spice box. Um, something where, you know, air uh, won't oxidize them and kind of uh, decrease their lifespan. And then keep them in a cool, dark place like your pantry. Um, 
importantly, when you come to the cooking part of it, um, and I know for people who are not used to using spices, they're like, oh, okay, I can just kind of sprinkle this in. You're not going to get the benefit that way either. So you want to add them early in cooking because um, you want to cook them that brings out their flavor. So that might mean toasting your spices. That means putting them in a dry uh, pan without oil, um, and that will bring out their flavor. It starts to release some of the aromatic oils um, in them, and that's how you get that flavor. Or you'll toast, uh, you'll temper them in oil. Um, and one example of that, um, is in Indian cooking, um, making the tadka, which is putting, you know, fat or oil, ghee or oil with the spices right before the um, end of cooking and actually adding that directly to your, your cooked dish. Um, again, the cooking process will bring out more of the flavors from your spices. If you're not toasting or tempering, if you're, let's say, sauteing your garlic and onions um, before you so uh, stir fry something or some, some other form of cooking, add your spices right after you've done that. It'll carry through to the rest of the dish and again, have time to infuse your dish with flavor. So timing is important for that as well. So what should you eat? Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And I'll just kind of put this slide up of what I've already said earlier, but just as a reminder, real food, mostly plants, whole grains, legumes, and um, seeds and nuts, and leafy greens, and less ultra-processed food, animal-based products, especially processed meat, um, especially uh, red meat. And then, you know, I think the rest of it is pretty obvious. Try to reduce those. Um, eat the rainbow. So I talked about presentation. This is the eat the rainbow gado gado from my book. And I know that people from the land of gado gado, I see a couple in the audience here. It doesn't look like gado gado there. I think it's an improvement, more vegetables, more color, um, <laughs> similar flavor, but you can argue with me about that. But eat the rainbow for presentation, also for a diversity of antioxidants, different colors actually correspond to different antioxidants. And then finally, don't forget flavor. So whether it's through spices, through herbs, um, through acidic ingredients like vinegars, citrus um, juices, whatever it is, flavor is what is going to make your food taste good. If you're trying to make changes in a healthier direction in your lifestyle, don't be like my sad babysitter. Add the flavor make it something that you love and that you can stick with for the rest of your life because that is how you're going to add those years of life that I promised through the Mediterranean diet. Um, and that's it. So I will be answering questions and, yes, and, and yeah. And that we will do next. We have one question online. Great. This person says, is it true that lentils, avocados, ginger, cinnamon, uh, ginger and cinnamon boost the metabolism in older women? Wow, interesting. Ginger, lentils, ginger, lentils, avocado. Ginger, cinnamon, and cinnamon. Oh, interesting. Uh, or for that matter, maybe in anybody. I, I'm assuming this is related to some study. Um, so I can't, I, I don't know. I have to say, I haven't heard this in particular. Um, but those are all some of the items that I highlighted actually throughout this talk. So I think for everyone, um, you know, that is highlighting cinnamon, which I, I mentioned, um, is important for your blood sugar and blood pressure. Um, indirectly in that way, that's related to metabolism. Um, lentils and ginger, um, well, lentils for legumes, which you want as a healthier source of protein, as well as fiber, that can have impact on metabolism as well, you know, but so the, the short answer is I, I can't comment on that directly, but I can see how these are all beneficial things to have in the diet. 
We have uh, one more. We can take one question here. Hi, Linda. Uh, Hi, Mindy. Hi. Um, what do you think about the packaged um, salad mixtures that you can buy? Because they're packaged, and then, but they're, they're fresh vegetables and stuff that are in there, like especially the kale one, which we use all the time. It's just quick yeah. to make. Well, I... I, I think it's poppy seed or something like that, but I okay. think um, I always add nuts more, and I always add fruit. I I really think fruit and salads are really delicious. Okay, great. So yeah, the question was, what do I think about prepackaged salads? So I think whatever makes it easier for you to eat more plants is a win. And so you know the the downside of that, and I'm sure you'll be choosing when you select it, is they once things are cut, they oxidize and they may not be as fresh as as if you did it yourself, but you know, if you choose correctly and you eat it that day, it's going to be, it'll be fresh. Um, and then the question was about the dressing that comes with it. I think, um, you know, the dressing is often where there might be ingredients, read the label, basically, ingredients that you may not want as much of that might include, you know, added sugar, added salt, uh, more than you want, and maybe emulsifiers and other things and preservatives, things like that. Might be better to make your own dressing for that. But I'm, again, anything that makes it easier for to incorporate more leafy greens in your diet, I'm all for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, so our thanks today to Dr. Linda Shu for her comments here today. We also thank our audience here as well as those listening online. And now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California commemorating the 120th year of enlightened discussion is adjourned. Thank you, Dr. Thank you. you. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.